Hi, I'm Maria Theoharis or Velosos on social media. Welcome back to Sober 50 Podcast on Soul Organized Style. Grab a cuppa and relax with us. On Soul Organized Style Podcast, I begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast and pay respects to the elders past and present. Listeners, do you have an idea for a great new podcast? You can bring your idea to life and start your podcast today with Lipson. So Organized Style Podcast, that's us, has been on Lipson since August 2019 and they've helped me whenever I've really needed technical assistance. Big shout out from me to Dave and Elsie here. Lipson has everything you need to plan, launch and grow your podcast. Lipson provides some of the best resources created by expert podcasters who will show you everything you need to know, like what equipment you should use, how to record great audio and how to get your show on Apple Podcasts and other popular platforms. As a friend of Soul Organized Style Podcast, when you sign up with Lipson, you get your first month of podcast hosting for free. Visit Lipson.com and use the code FRIEND, F-R-I-E-N-D. That's Lipson, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com and use the code FRIEND to get started and create your podcast today. Thanks for joining us on So Over 50 Podcast on Soul Organized Style. So Over 50 intersects with all communities. We're a community that is so over ageism. Carmen or at Carmacita blog on Instagram is today's Sober 50 guest. We all know Carmen for her many publishing and sewing talents. You'll hear more about that later. This is part one of Carmen's podcast as she discusses her enthusiasm for sewing, including having lots of sewing tools and everything that she has experienced since she started sewing at the age of five. She also talks about her experience of winning the first French Sewing Bee in 2014. Hi, Carmen. Hey, how are you? Wonderful. And you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm so glad to meet you. I'm very honoured that you said yes to this podcast. I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have started working around eight this morning so I could do all the evaluations because I'm a teacher on an online platform. And we are delivering the first step in the French sewing, like national sewing diploma that allows you to go get a job in a industry. That's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, it's an online platform. It's a collab with the French Craftsy Artisana. And I'm a teacher there. So I did that this morning. Well. Is the French Craftsy owned by the same people who own the English Craftsy? No, not at all. Okay. They're owned by a woman who was like 24 at the time who started it with help with, uh, she had business angels and stuff like that. And now there's 40 people and they just opened the food part of it. Great. But they have a sewing, embroidery, drawing. I even took an iPad course with them, like a Procreate course. They have a vast array of courses and uh, they've just started the food stuff. That sounds like a wonderful opportunity for people who are French speaking to learn everything else that the rest of us can do on an English platform. Indeed, because you have to be bilingual to watch craftsy classes because mm. you have to be sewing bilingual. 
because there are regional terms like between England and the US and you have to be like even that kind of bilingual as well to get the craftsy classes or get everything from them. And so I've taken many because I, that's one of the way I used to uh, learn how to make shirts properly and stuff like that. Wow. The classes there, I learned a lot. And they probably allowed me to win the French sewing bee because I could do stuff faster. I owe a lot to Janet. <laughs> Janet Prey? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Very useful. If you want to be on the on the sewing bead, like take all of Janet Prey's uh, classes about like sewing without pins and and stuff like that. She's really good for that. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. I've got quite a few, and I uh, that's how I've learned how to sew bras is through Beverly. Yes, I have all of Beverly classes, but I didn't take them. I still have to watch them because I actually went to Orange Lingerie and learned how to make. Yeah, I had a class with her in Boston and that was really, really cool. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. What other ways can people in France learn how to sew? Our listeners, 50% are English speaking. And I'm really curious to find out if you're French speaking, where do you go to learn how to sew and craft? It depends how you learn. You know, we're not all the same learners. And some people like videos best. And so like uh, Artisan is for that. And then there's like uh, people making French videos, sewing videos online. And then some people like books. And there's like a bazillion tons of books. <laughs> and then some people want to do modelisme and um, they want to learn how to make their own patterns and there's like like several schools of that I, I mean we we live in the country of haute couture so there's a lot of resources there like in English not all of it is good but there's good information in French I would have a hard time telling you where it is exactly because if I'm watching or reading something, I don't know if I'm reading it in English or in French. I don't make the difference. I just either understand or I don't. <laughs> and so it happens a lot, truly bilingual people. You don't actually notice. And so if I'm in Canada and I read labels, like they, there'll be a part in English and a part in French, and I'm stupid enough to say, oh, they're saying the same thing twice. <laughs> but it's not... <laughs> it's not in the same language so you know I don't I don't know this so that brings me to another question as a bilingual person I think this is probably more of a personal question how do you prefer to learn and it's probably not because you're bilingual but how do you prefer to learn I really truly learn with vogue patterns like uh, all the little diagrams I'm a big collector and uh, I started sewing when I was about five. And when I was 12, my neighbor said, oh, you whip up stuff and let me show you how to follow a pattern. And that's how I learned to sew. I just bought patterns and followed them to the letter, whether or not the instructions were good. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> care. <laughs> uh, so that's how I learned. And then um, the internet happened and that I learned about techniques more with the internet. I'll take my information wherever it comes from. I don't care if it's 
video or books or pattern instructions or whatever. If it's good and I can manage to make things well with that particular method, I'll use it. For someone who has English as their first language, what can they do with their information, whether it's a pattern or a blog post, what can they do to make it easier for someone who is bilingual to understand what they're writing? Do you have any hints or tips there? I don't because each person has its own method for translating that type of information. I used to do it a lot when I was blogging. I don't blog anymore. My blog is dead because I once had a lot of time and now I don't have time anymore because it's actually my job and I sew all day. So I'm not going to go write a blog post at night because, you know, I've sewn all day. I'm like, oh, I need a break. So my blog is dead, but I used to do it. And it used to take me a long time. Being a translator is a job and it's not my job. It just took me a long time. And even on Instagram, I am able to say what I want to say in French and in English, and it's fairly the same thing. But it's just work. You have to do it. My first posts were horrible, and then the last ones are really good. And it's just the practice, like everything. But you've been on and doing stuff and traveling for sewing and going to meetups and And uh, I've seen you travel a lot, right? You've met a bazillion people in the sewing community. And I try to do the same. Whenever I have a chance, I go sew with people. Because you learn and I think sewers in general, like seamstresses, people who make things, have qualities in common. I think we are all perseverant and we pay attention to details and We know when to admit we failed (laughs) and just go on with something else. And I think it's really cool that all of these people all over the world have these sorts of qualities. Mm -hmm. And I recognize myself in them. I don't always recognize myself in other people in my day-to-day life, except my friends, of course. And so I can actually go to someone who sews who I've never met before and talk to them and and will engage in a very meaningful conversation and and touch each other, you know. Oh, my God, that fabric. And I love that. I just love that. And I've seen you at meetups. It's a a lot of fun. And I try, like, uh, of course, that was cut down by uh, the pandemic, but Mm -hmm. it's going to resume pretty soon. And uh, we're thinking about meeting up, like uh, doing another thing, because Paris is central in Europe. And Mm -hmm. if you give people enough advanced warning, they'll be able to work out cheap flights and fast trains and stuff like that. And they'll be able to show up if you give them enough advance for fairly cheap actually it's always been very rich and a lot of fun to do that from australia i've watched how everyone can meet (laughs) together so easily well i'm incredibly jealous of australian spool at meetings and i'm just like you know like melbourne gets together all the time and i'm like one day i'm gonna make one of those yes please i'm gonna go there (laughs) one day one day i'll be there (laughs) That'd be amazing. I love sewing so much and I've been doing it for so long that 
I do it for fun. I do it because it soothes me. I do mm-hmm. it because it's difficult. I do it because I love solving puzzles. In sewing, I've found something that's quite extraordinary in that I can solve a puzzle and wear it. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do with like real puzzles. You make such good points. It's funny to be that age and be even more enthusiastic about sewing. It's like it's not something that stops for me. It just like grew, grew into being my business, which is amazing. If you told me when I wanted to be a fashion designer when I was like 16, if I'd end up sewing for a living, I, I would have gone like, well, that's too mad. That's like way, way, way too mad. And now I'm doing it, but I'm not doing like clothing, but it's okay. It still satisfies you. Oh yeah. And it's different problems you have to solve. Mm-hmm. And I love sewing and everything is custom. So like all the problems are different every time. And I love solving problems. <laughs> Oh, yes, it's, this one's going to be difficult. Yes. <laughs> you can high five every client you have. Yes, I love them so much. They're so good. Like one of them just won a big race again this week. And it's just like, yes. Wow. I work for Yachtmen who do solo races. The guys who do that big round the world sailing and the French primarans with three hulls that go like, 15 odd. These are my customers. The French Jeep Challenge is one of my customers. So like, they're just like, so awesome. (laughs) I love them all. They're so passionate. And they're passionate about what they do. And I have a couple of women and they're really good. And Mm. it transpire and it motivates you as well. They're incredibly inspiring. Though, you know, I'm seasick and like you wouldn't believe and I wouldn't dare go on a boat by myself. I, in theoretical life, I know I would probably be able to go back and forth, but it's in theory and in theory, everything's perfect and selling is never perfect. Very true. I love my customers. They're really cool. It's good that they inspire you and motivate you. Well, it's, it's like when you meet people that are really passionate about what they're doing, they pass that on. You feel it. It's mm-hmm. like, I love going to concerts. I love music. And basically what I do for a living is sew all day and listen to music all day. I love going to live concerts for that same reason, because you see people who are doing what they like best and they transmit something to you they Mm -hmm. transfer some of their energy and they pump you up so that's that's what I'm trying to do when I uh, teach sewing and when I uh, still have the occasion to do uh, one or two trade shows where I'm sewing with people still and that's what I try to pass on (laughs) if I have a legacy it'll be that pressing on the passion. Carmen tell me about how you developed your online sewing name it's a long story. It's Carmen Sita B. It's Carmen Sita. It's like small Carmen. It means small Carmen Bouchard. I'm Carmen Bouchard. Mm-hmm. And when I was looking for a, a pseudo online in, in like 90s something, 
uh, Carmencita, which is a really famous like Spanish way to call like uh, small carmines when they're little. It was already taken. And so I added a B to it, which is my name. So I could have Carmencita B. It just means small Carmen. And the Carmencita was, there was a time in my life where I couldn't so much because I was working so much. And uh, I had hired a friend of mine to make clothes for me. I would draw stuff and we'd decide on material and we'd go fabric shopping and she would make the stuff. And uh, she was 195. She was really, really tall. And I'm 160. And so she called me small Carmen, actually. She's the one who started calling me uh, Carmencita. I've always been big on uh, red and black. And she used to call me Carmencita. And then I added a B. Thank you. It's a lovely story. I have so many. (laughs) (laughs) Carmen Bouchard, or Carmencita, is today's Sir Over 50 guest. We all know Carmen for her many publishing and sewing talents. Is that okay to say? Yes. Cool. It's I I tell people it's not talent. I tell people it's just practice. I'm not more talented. I I'm just more practiced. I've been sewing for 45 uh, oh my god, no 55 years. I just turned 60, right? <laughs> I've been sewing for 55 years and it's just practice and good tools. I'm I'm like a tool person. I've been blessed because I won the sewing bee, but also because I will never scamp on tools and notions. I don't care how much it costs. If it works, I want it. (laughs) So I've got good machines and I've got good scissors and I've got like a bazillion rulers and I've got five or six ways to mark fabric. And I have everything. I just have everything. And you need to have more than one way of marking fabric because you don't just work with one fabric. Exactly. You need to know enough and be curious enough to learn a lot of techniques Mm -hmm. because it's all about controlling something that's really limp. (laughs) (laughs) Fabric is just so limp. You have to know many ways to do that. That's what being well-equipped is, but you can do wonderful things with very little as well. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone has to be as well equipped as me because, you know, when you start off, you're starting off and you can't ask someone to buy everything I've bought over the years, right? Yeah, you collect them. Yeah, it's like it's a collection. It is. (laughs) And so when you did start sewing, were you hand sewing? How did you go about it? Because you started when you were five. Yeah, my mom bought me a machine, a little tiny toy machine (gasps) when I was five. And then I got a knitting machine, was a plastic knitting machine. Did you? It was a toy in the States. Yeah. I had like my knitting machine when I was a kid. It's like you could only ever make a scarf with it. But, you know, it was a knitting machine with Mm -hmm. the the cart that goes in (laughs) it. I come from a place which is very far away from everything. I used to say when I was a teenager that we lived 750 miles away from civilization, which was close to the truth. When you're a teenager, you're more isolated. 
But I also come from a long line of women who were autosuffisant. They could fend for themselves. They knew how to make everything because they had to know how to make everything self-sufficient, right? Self-sufficiency. And so all my aunts and all my grandmothers and my great-grandmothers knew how to make their own fabric. They knew how to knit and they knew how to crochet and they knew how to sew and they all had singer sewing machines and uh, it cost them um, like so much. But my grandmother also knew how to repair her tractor because she raised 15 children by herself. And so she knew how to garden and she knew how to patchwork and she knew how to repair stuff. You had to know all of that stuff to be able to live half decently. So that's where I come from. And it, it wasn't passed on to everyone. If you ask my mom to sew, she'll just go like, oh my God, she can barely do a hem. She learned, but she's from the 70s. She couldn't be bothered. <laughs> And also, like, for her, it was like a chore. Yes, it was. And so as soon as she could dispense with it or not do it ever again, she managed to find a way to do that. But I kept at it. I was better dressed when I was a teenager than than I am now because she would buy me all the fabric I wanted. She didn't care how much it cost. So I would buy silks and I would buy really expensive fabrics because, you know, I have this love of fabric. And uh, she would buy me all this really expensive fabric. But as long as I was making it, she didn't care. So for a while there, I was really well-dressed because I had the woolens and the silks and stuff like that. Of course, it's totally impractical to go to high school with a silk blouse. Something's going to happen. But I had it and I was making that. And she was buying all this really expensive fabric for me because I was making it. So I was lucky in that way. You know, that's really lovely of your mother to feed mm-hmm. your sewing your sewing passion at such a young age. Yeah. As you said, wearing silk blouses to school would have been an interesting, interesting experience. It's just the way I was. Mm-hmm. We had fashion magazines, but we didn't have the clothes that went with it. And so I had to make the clothes. That's it. But yeah, like things happen to silk when you're like 15 and in the cafeteria, things happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. That, but it's okay. When you sew as much as we have, I think you have to realize that you will waste some fabric. Fabric will get wasted. It's part of the learning curve. So I'll make something, like I'll be really enthusiastic about making something. I made a really cool Aldaya once, which was in a stretch fabric, which is mustardy color. Mm -hmm. And I went to this trade show. I was really proud to be wearing it. I did an FBA and it was one of my first ones and because body change. And I was all very happy. And the first day of the show, people were saying, Carmen, are you okay? You look tired. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Oh, <laughs> I'm not no. tired at all. It's just so such a wrong color for my complexion mm-hmm. that it made me look sick. I've never worn it ever again. 
common. Or when you start sewing, you will choose the wrong fabric for the right project or vice versa. You need to touch fabric and feel fabric a lot to understand that, to get that feeling. Has there been a particular time in your sewing life where you had an aha moment? In every project, there's a point where you partially try something and and you don't know if it's going to work. And then you have that moment where everything gel and and you know that you're going to wear this a lot. It's what you wanted, what you saw. Actually, my aha moment happened. What I had in my head is actually showing up in real life. And that that's magic. That's like making magic. With experience, you have more of them. The more you sew, the better you know yourself, the better you, you know how to fit yourself, the better you are at touching fabric and realizing that it's not quite right for this project. Let me get something else. I mean, I've given up on projects just because I didn't know how to finish them because I didn't have the technique. And that's sad, but it happens. When I first tried to make my first stand-up collar, it was like a major fail. But it's because I didn't understand what was going on. And also because of one and a half centimeter margins when you're trying to put up a collar are way too large. Okay. Reduce your margins when you try to put up a stand-up collar. It's going to be much better and you're going to sew them up much quicker. That's a handy hint for new sewers and for sewers who have been sewing for a while. You have to think about that sort of thing, but you start thinking about it later on, actually. Mm. And, And there are more and more young pattern makers that are using different margins for different parts of garments. And it's something I would chop off, actually. I would reduce margins because it's just easier when you're having a concave thing and a convex thing, you're better off with zero five. It's just going to be easier to find that place where your curve is going to be exactly the same length. And if you have one and a half margins, well, it's way too wide and you don't see actually. So you have to trace everything, which is like, please don't. <laughs> Next week, you'll hear more from Carmen. She absolutely loves sewing and she continues in part two to share her sewing insights with us. This episode for Sew Over 50 podcast on Soul Organized Style was produced by me, Maria Thea Harris, with permission of Carmen. Sound by bensound.com. Listeners, if you want to provide a guest post for Sew Over 50, make sure you direct message Judith and Sandy at the Sew Over 50 account on Instagram. Also, keep an eye out for the next Sew 50 Live event that Bird and Molly are hosting. Remember, these Sew 50 Live events will always be available on the Sew 50 account. You can subscribe to Sew Organized Style Podcast, but with an S not a Z on all good podcast apps. Make sure you go back and listen to our free Sew Over 50 Podcast archive. And if you can, consider supporting the production of this podcast on Patreon so I can keep producing it for you. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone.